But tonight, we are starting a new study. So we finished Philippians last week, and we're going to start a new kind of short four-week study on the topic of work. Um, And most of you, if you are not already, will work at some point in your lives, right? And how many of you actually are working right now? Okay, a few of you. Um, Work, your job, will take up a significant amount of your time, right? It's uh, we're not just talking about like time actually being at work, which is, we'll say, 40 hours a week, um, but there is a time spent thinking about what you have to do at work, right, on Sunday night, why you work, um, and the time and the money that you're doing right now spent learning and training and going to school so that you can work in the future. Right? And so uh, when you think about all of that, that's a lot of time, right? Like, that's a good chunk of your life. Um, and so that's why I want to do this study on, on the topic of work, um, because we want to ask the question, what is the point of it all? Or more importantly, what does God have to say about work? Um, and I think just as an introduction, Scripture teaches us that God cares about our work. Okay, the thing that we spend so much of our waking hours doing for the rest of our lives, it matters to him. And more importantly, it not only matters to him, but it can be glorifying to him. That work has to do with our discipleship just as much as those other things that we might call Christian things. Things like evangelizing or reading your Bible or praying or being at church or all of those other things. Work is just as critical to our discipleship, to what it means to live the Christian life as many of those other things. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks in this short series, which um, I've called Work as for the Lord. And that comes from Colossians 3.23, where Paul writes... Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And so there's a lot, I think, that we can pull from that passage. Uh, Scripture calls us to this, like, wholehearted devotion to God in our work, in whatever we do. And uh, that verse teaches us that there's this way in which we as believers are called to work as for the Lord and not for men. And just, like, think about that. What Paul is saying there for a second, um, I know it's a familiar verse, but in this working world where like org charts and leadership structures and promotions and moving up in your job are so important, right? Like we want to be the ones who others are working for, not to mention the customers, the clients that we are working for, right? To please, to make happy. Paul says in Colossians 3, work not for them, but for the Lord, okay? In order to work as for the Lord, we have to first understand what God has to say about our work. And so that's what we'll be exploring these next few weeks. Um, Tonight, we're going to talk about work under the curse. Next week, we'll talk about work redeemed. Um, The following week, we'll talk about uh, how do we discern what God's will is, because that's a big topic when it comes to thinking about our jobs, working God's will. Um, I also want to highlight a Q&A panel that we're going to have um, in a few weeks on May 31st. Instead of having a message, I've asked a few people from Lighthouse to come who are currently working and who I think have uh, like really thoughtfully considered how faith intersects with work. Um, and they're going to spend time with us and answer our questions. And I think it'll be good to, to kind of see after these three weeks of preaching, like how does that look like um, in the day-to-day in each of their jobs? Um, One of them works at a tech company, and he also serves as a lay pastor. You probably know who that is. Um, Another one is a graphic designer at a small business and an elder here. 
you can probably guess who that is. Another one is um, a Beacon staff who works as a, a PT. There's a couple of them. Um, and then another one is a physician. Good luck guessing who that is, with how many docs we have Lighthouse. And how, how does this apply to you as, as college students? Okay, I know this is, like, it could, could be this totally, like, hypothetical kind of thing, right? Like, I'm not even working right now. I'm not even close to working. And so how does this affect what I do right now? Um, two things for you, just as we start. Even if you think that work is a long way off for you, then I encourage you in these next few weeks, see this as equipping and preparing you for the future. Okay, equipping and preparing you for the future. Um, you don't, they say that you don't want to be forced to learn a theology of suffering for the first time as you're experiencing significant suffering in your life. Right? Like you, you suffer well when you've learned to suffer well before the suffering comes. And I think like the same way with our work. We learn to be good and faithful employees, kingdom-minded citizens. We learn to think wisely through career decisions if we already have that in place, right? If we're already equipped with this rock-solid biblical foundation ahead of time. Um, and I'm not saying that like learning all of this head knowledge is going to like make the stress and the frustration of work go away. But I do hope that whatever you take from this, uh, from God's word, that it'll serve as these anchors for you, right? Like whatever you go through in your work week or your future work or future job, that these truths would serve as anchors to kind of bring you back to what God has to say. Okay, so this is preparing you for the future. But second, um, let me say that work is a lot closer than you might think. And some of you are already working, others of you have a job lined up in a couple months, or you're currently recruiting for a job in the future. Uh, but most obviously, many of you here are in school, right? Like you're studying a particular major with the hopes of working in this job in the future. And so my encouragement to you is to view your current season as, uh, as a student, as an extension of your, of your work, right? Even if you're not being paid, um, to study or whatever, like see this as an extension of work. Um, and so how does what the Bible have to say about work change the way that you should think about school? Okay, so all of that for intro, let me give you a definition for how we're going to kind of define work throughout this series. Okay, it's this um, <clears throat> labor that is socially productive, done primarily not for interest but for living, usually receiving a wage. Okay, that's not my definition. It's from a Bible scholar named Daniel Stevens. Um, but the exception to this, just to kind of be clear at the beginning, is a homemaking. Okay, like uh, that is a very high calling if you're uh, called to be at home and, and to be a mother or even a, a father, right? Homemaker, being a homemaker. And let me just say that Scripture doesn't, when it describes work in uh, in the Bible, like it doesn't really include homemaking in there. In, in the I guess the true sense of the word, where you're being, wage, being paid wages and stuff like that. Um, and so, just to put that out there. But I have just two points for us, okay? First one is this. Work is a good gift from God. <clears throat> work is a good gift from God. Now, we'll be jumping around to several different passages tonight, uh, but we need to start at the very beginning. In Genesis 1, God creates the universe. Um, so, why don't, you, why don't you guys turn there? We'll start right at the very beginning. Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. So Genesis 1, God creates the universe, right? And on this sixth day, God creates man. And this is what it says in verses 26 to 28. 
It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, this is a very foundational passage in scripture. And in here, we learn lots of things, but one of the, the most important things is we learn that we were created in the image of God, right? We were created out of God's likeness, and we were created to reflect who he is, what he is like to the rest of creation. And that has a lot of different implications. It means that we reflect uh, like the Trinitarian relational God in our own capacity for relationships, right, with one another, But in regards to our topic specifically tonight, it means that we reflect God's rule as man rules and exercises dominion over the rest of the creation, right? We we image God's rule as we rule over creation. And that's the first thing that God commands man to do after he creates him. He says, uh, like, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over uh, the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man was created to be this extension of God to the rest of creation. And we see this when it comes to work, right? God commanded man to rule over creation through his work. And man's work was a reflection of the God who worked. Um, If you jump ahead a little bit to Genesis 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Okay, so I want you to notice it's significant that scripture uses the word work to describe God's act of creation. Like, have you ever thought about it that way? That God worked, in a sense, to bring order out of chaos when he created the universe. So God worked, and then after he creates man, he commissions him to do the same. Look at verse 15 of chapter 2. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, just think about that. If uh, you were to imagine your perfect world, right, what would it look like? Well, in God's perfect world, he designed the garden, right, even before sin, even before the fall, even before death, designed it in a way that it needed to be worked on. And there wasn't anything wrong with it, right? But God intended Adam to cultivate the garden, to tend to it, to do work on it. Now, I'm not sure what you guys imagine when you picture Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You probably think about your children's storybook Bible, right? But this wasn't an easy thing that God commanded them to do. They were given this entire planet to take care of, right? An entire planet to work. They were asked to um, identify and name and rule over every single creature, okay? They're like, oh, let's call this one hippopotamus. They weren't just hanging out. They weren't just chilling. They weren't just making babies. They weren't just planting trees. They were commissioned to work. In this picture of redeemed 
And they were, uh, it's not just like very basic work, right? Like, uh, like tilling the ground. They were expected to like do something with their work, okay? And the picture of redeemed humanity in Revelation 21, right? Like when, when Christ makes all things new, Revelation 21, it says that there's a city. As in, there would be development of human culture. There would be flourishing. There would be technological advance where, uh, where you have this movement from the garden to this city. And all of that was, uh, was supposed to come about by their work. Um, this is how the author Andy Wilson describes uh, Adam and Eve's task. He says, They were given a job so big that only Noah and the disciples who received the Great Commission saw anything like it. Adam's hands would have blistered and grown thick calluses. He would have sweat and bled and worked six days and rested one day every week through millennia. I think that's a more realistic picture of what God commanded Adam and Eve to do. And yet, this work was good. It was good. It originated with, it was commanded by God. It was his idea. It was given to man before the fall we were created and we were designed to work as those made in the image of God. That God's good and perfect creation included the command to work for the glory of God and the good of others. And so with all of that in mind, right, do you see how Scripture shows us that our work, our jobs, despite how insignificant, despite how menial, despite how boring or entry-level, that our work has incredible meaning? God sovereignly designed that our work and our jobs would be the means by which he would channel his love, by which he would show his care, and by which he would provide for the rest of humanity. God uses your talents, your opportunities, your regular nine-to-five job as a way of loving those around you. Your work is God's common grace to the world. And there's a passage where it says that God uh, like allows the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. Right? Like think of your work in that way, where it's God's common grace to the world. And that applies to all kinds of work, whatever your job is. Scripture doesn't designate some jobs as inherently better or more valuable than other jobs, whether you are this world-renowned doctor or a conference preacher or a Silicon Valley programmer or a barista at Starbucks, whether you're in full-time ministry or working for a nonprofit or working on Wall Street. There's no like hierarchy of jobs or career. There's no sacred versus secular dichotomy as if certain jobs are more spiritual or more holy, more pleasing or more valuable to God. And sure, they might be in the eyes of the world. Right? Like your parents, your friends, your classmates, society might tell you that some jobs are better than others, are more desirable than others. But God says, whatever you do, the significance and the dignity of your job comes from the fact not what you're doing, but who you're working for. It comes from the fact that you're working for God, who created work. I mean, you realize that Paul is not writing to people um, who had the freedom to choose whatever career or job they wanted to pursue. Okay, this whole, like, choice thing of career is pretty modern, okay? Like, they didn't get, the people that Paul are writing to, is writing to, they didn't get to, like, follow your dreams or do what you love or like pursue your passions or whatever. That's a pretty modern understanding of work. I mean, for the most part, people did what their parents did. And yet, Scripture, like, it still says there's dignity in what you're doing. 
Um, in Ecclesiastes 3.22, Solomon says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Okay, in fact, in the context of uh, Colossians 3, the passage we read earlier, Paul is speaking to bond servants. Right? He's like speaking to slaves in relation to their masters. And he says, Work as for the Lord and not for men. Don't obey by way of eye service or people-pleasing, but with sincerity of heart, out of a fear of the Lord. Okay, so who you work for is more important than what you do. And Paul says, in whatever you do, remember, you're serving the Lord Christ. And so what that means for us is that we shouldn't have this attitude where uh, it's like, oh, I'm just uh, this, like I'm just a, a waiter, or I'm just a barista, or I'm just like, I just work a desk job. Or we shouldn't ever think, oh, I would never do that. Like, I would never do retail. Or I would never, like, I don't know what those jobs are. Fill in the blank. Like, every job has dignity. Right? And your job and what you do is not your identity. It doesn't define who you are. It doesn't give you significance. It doesn't give you value. And that's so contrary to what the world teaches us, isn't it? Um, I want you to think of when you meet someone for the first time. And of course, like somewhere in that conversation, probably pretty early on, you will ask each other the question, uh, so what do you do? And um, I know like, some of you might respond differently to that. right? Like, some of you might feel threatened by that question. Like, some of you might be insecure, because like, you're not doing what you want to do, and you feel like people will judge you. Others of you can't wait to tell other people what you do. Right? And you can't wait to see their reaction, because like, you want to impress them. I mean, the questions that often run through our minds as we think about what we and what others do for work are, uh, well, is my job significant? Is it impressive to other people? Or does it give me influence? Or do people know what I do and do they think that it matters? Or does my work validate who I am and, and how much I've worked and how much uh, hard work I've put into this? I'm not saying that we just disregard all of that stuff. Like, we don't just throw away all of those questions. Some jobs do afford us more opportunities. They, they give us more prominent platforms. They work more directly towards this obvious good. That's still not the most important thing. Right? Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now, I know that some, there are some of you here um, who are working instead of going to school. Okay, and maybe you hold a job that you are, quite frankly, kind of embarrassed about compared to everyone else. Or maybe you don't go to this prestigious four-year uh, university. And to that, first off, let me say, Beacon, I think uh, to most of you guys, the biblical perspective of work ought to help us to love these brothers and sisters better. Right? Like, they're doing what God has called them to do. But if that is you, if you find yourself in that situation... <coughs> And let me say, you, say to you, there's dignity in your work. Right? There's, that's where God has placed you. He has called you to do it for him. When we recognize that work is a good gift from God, it also teaches us that work isn't just a means to an end. Work is not just a means to an end. And I think that's how most people see it, right? Work uh, just gets me to this destination. And we can look at that like short-term or long-term. Like in the short-term, work is just this necessary evil until I get to the weekend. Right? That's, like, that's why we say things like TGIF. That's why we call Wednesday hump day. Um, or that's why we commiserate over Monday mornings um, in the office, the show I like. There's a scene where they're unloading these boxes from the truck. And one of the guys is like trying to come up with this better idea of how to do it. Um, and one of the characters says, 
this here is a run-out-the-clock situation. Right, this here is a run-out-the-clock situation. Maybe that's how you think about your work. Like, you don't want to think about, you know, like, how, how can we actually make this better? You just want to think about how much more time until I get to go home. Like, work is just this thing that keeps you from Netflix in the evenings or hanging out with friends on the, on the weekends. But it can be long-term, too, right? Like, seeing work as a means to a long-term end. We can view work as a means of accumulating money or getting us to the next vacation or enabling us to enjoy retirement later on. It can be the means to earning your parents' approval of getting you to your next milestone in life, whether that's traveling or moving out of your parents' house or marriage or, or kids. And as Christians, I think like, what we can do sometimes is we like, sanctify this a little bit, right? Like, oh, like, of course, I, I don't see work as a means of you know, like making me or getting me to this thing, but like, work allows me to make money so I can give to the church, right? Or like, work allows me to be around non-believers, um, but, like, think about what you're doing there. Like, work is still this means to an end, isn't it? And there are many ways to glorify God in our work, such as evangelizing, such as, um, yeah, uh, making money so that we can be generous. But even more fundamentally, Scripture teaches us that our work itself, our work itself is glorifying to God. And when we do our jobs well, as God has designed us to do them, it's glorifying to him. And I think that frees us, doesn't it? Like, it frees us to enjoy what we do. We're freed from, like, trying to manipulate the future. We're freed from trying to control the results of our work. We can learn to enjoy work as a gift in and of itself, regardless of whether it makes us rich or not. We are free to share and to give away the fruits of our work with others because that's not what it's all about. So work is a gift. It's a good gift from God. Unfortunately, though this is what Scripture teaches us about the theology and the origins of work, um, I think for many of us, it's probably not our experience of it. Right? Like work is hard, and work is frustrating. Um, sometimes it's hard to wake up in the morning on some days. Right? And even if you have your dream job, like there will be moments where you are reminded that maybe it's not what you hyped it up to be. Um, and I think we, we, like, we all experience this to different degrees, right? For some of you, like, work might seem like this significant trial with no end in sight. And for others of you, you, like, you genuinely enjoy what you do most days, and there are occasional off days where, like, sprinkled here and there. Regardless, there will be moments that will make it hard for you to believe that work is a good thing given to you by God. And the reason for that is because of what sin has done. And that leads us to our second point. Work is a struggle because of sin. Work is a struggle because of sin. So as you know, shortly after God's creation and commissioning of work in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we have Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis 3. Right? We have the fall. And we see there that sin devastates everything. And um, just as we unpack, as we look at this point, as we unpack how sin affects God's good gift of work, um, I, I think one thing it should do for us is it should actually teach us to hate sin more. Right? In Romans 8.22, um, it describes how the entire creation is groaning together for redemption. Right? It's like eagerly longing for freedom from futility, uh, for God to make all things new and right again. And I think as we, as we better understand the effects of, work, or effects of sin on our work, like, it should help us do that more. It should help us to groan with the rest of creation for God to make things right. 
Um, turn to Genesis 3. Uh, in this chapter, we, we hear from God himself as he talks about some of the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin. Um, and one of the areas that is devastated by their disobedience is their work. Okay, look at verse 17. It says, this is God speaking, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, something I would encourage you guys to do on your own time is just to go through this passage and to write down like, all of the specific ways that the curse of sin has affected our work. Um, like, it's not just like work is hard now. I think that's kind of what we walk away with a lot of the times. But like, there's a lot in here, a lot of specific ways that sin has devastated our work. For example, because of sin, our relationships with each other, they're now characterized by self-interest. Right? They're, they're marked by mistrust rather than this mutual cooperation, this joyful service and, and helping one another in submission. Um, it teaches us that there's, there's real pain, there's frustration introduced in our work now. Right? That work now will be difficult. It won't always produce what we hope for. Um, we learn that sin introduces death. Right? Paul says, or um, Moses says in verse 19, sorry, God says in verse 19, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Right? And death uh, is this tragic reminder that we can't take the fruit of our work with us after we die. Um, Solomon laments about this in Ecclesiastes 2. He says this, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. I can work hard for my entire life, and when I die, I can't take it with me, and I just have to leave it to the next guy. And I have no idea what this next person is going to do with it. So work under the curse is frustrating. And what used to be this joyful and purposeful God-given duty in the garden is now this picture of thorns and thistles in verse 18. And in your work, you will deal with stress and, and overtime and overbearing bosses and sinful, self-seeking co-workers and boring meetings and undesirable outcomes. That sin makes our work more difficult. It, it influences the reasons for why we work. We can work with sinful motives. It even produces certain, kinds of, uh, certain sinful kinds of work. Right? You think of like, uh, jobs that are just inherently sinful, like things like uh, the adult industry, right? Like just... Sinful, sinful jobs that are a result of the fall. Um, Tim, Tim Keller puts it like this. What do we mean when we say that work is fruitless? We mean that in all our work, we will be able to envision far more than we can accomplish. I'm sure you guys can relate to that when it comes to studying or cramming for finals, right? Envisioning far more than we can accomplish. Um, both because of a lack of ability and because of resistance in the environment around us. The experience of work will include pain, conflict, envy, and fatigue, and not all of our goals will be met. For example, you may have an aspiration to do a certain kind of work and perform at a certain level of skill and quality, but you may never even get the opportunity to do the work that you want. Or if you do, you may not be able to do it as well as it needs to be done. Even on our best days, each of us is working 
within a system that feels stacked against us. Okay, that's the effect of sin on our work. But don't miss what else God says. Okay, look at verse 18. He says, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And catch the second half. He says, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Right? Your, your work might turn up thorns and thistles, but it can also bear fruit. Right? It, it still uh, can bear something productive. That work is cursed, but it's still good. We see that because in Genesis 3.23, it says that as after God banishes them from the garden, it says, is therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Okay, so even after the fall, God still commands us to work. And even more than that, to take joy in our work. And if you read the rest of scripture, it helps to fill out, like, how do we think about work as Christians in, living in a fallen world? And it has a lot to say. For example, it teaches us that we work for the glory of God, right? We really looked at Colossians 3.23. Um, it says that we work out of a love for our neighbor. Um, second greatest commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. It says we work to provide for our family. And someone who is unable to provide for his own family is worse than a non-believer. It says that we work to provide for ourselves. And then it says we work to provide for the common good. Okay, so how do we think about all of this? Uh, I think one thing it teaches us is that having a biblical perspective of work, um, it, it ought to help us to temper our expectations. It helps us to manage our expectations. Um, C.S. Lewis illustrated it like this. He says, if you're shown a hotel room that you've been told is the honeymoon suite, then your expectations will be high. But if you go in there and there's no plush carpet, there's no spa and champagne, you'll be disappointed. Right? But on the other hand, if you've been told before the door opens that it's a jail, jail cell, then you will be delighted to find even modest comforts. You get that? Our expectations govern our responses. You think about the moments when you are upset or frustrated or angry when it comes to your work or with school. And in those moments, what that frustration says a lot of the time is it's not supposed to be like this, right? Like, I'm not supposed to get this grade on this test. This is not supposed to be this hard. And how often is it because we don't have the right expectations? And so let me ask you, what are your expectations? Like, what do you, what do you expect from your work, your job, your career? I expect it to make me happy. I expect it to, to pay me a certain amount of money. Right? To, uh, I expect it to respect my personal boundaries, to work alongside people who are just as ambitious and optimistic and invested as I am. Uh, I expect it to earn the respect of those around me, and on and on and on. Do you get what's happening when we heap all of these expectations on our work? We're placing our trust in our jobs and in our careers to provide for us. And we're looking to work as our savior. Right? We're, we're looking to it to care for us and to provide for us and to come through for us. The scripture teaches us, right, it's, it's been devastated by sin. It makes a poor savior. I mean, it teaches us crystal clear that work is broken, it's fallen under the curse, and yet when we expect the world from our jobs, when we expect it to give it all that we've ever hoped and, and, and dreamt, we're making something, we're making work something that it wasn't meant to be. We've made it this idol. And if we've placed 
all of our hopes, all of our expectations in these idols to provide for us, then we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves absolutely crushed when they don't come through for us. Right? And this can apply to anything. For example, if you've made like your boyfriend or your girlfriend the thing that will provide, that will fulfill all of your hopes, all of your dreams, then like why are you surprised when your breakup is so devastating to you? I'm not saying that like breakups aren't aren't painful and hard. Like if you place so much of your stock in that, then of course, like it's gonna kill you when that thing's taken away from you. Right? It's the same when it comes to our work. If we've loaded our work with the weight of our expectations and significance that it wasn't meant to bear, then of course we will be devastated when that job offer doesn't come through or when you get laid off or when you find yourself not enjoying your job as much as you thought you would. It was supposed to be this affirmation of your significance or your identity or this trophy of all of your hard work. And when it falls apart, you'll be left asking, well, am I just like not smart enough? Am I not good enough? Did I just waste all of my time and money and education? Well, Scripture says you don't find that in your job, right? Like your work doesn't provide that for you. Christ does. And he is your significance. He is your identity, your purpose, your master, and your employer. See, we need to remember both the goodness of work and the struggle of work. God-given purpose for our work and the problems with our work. If we only see the good, if we are just only idealistic, like I'm going to change the world, like I'm going to do this with my work and everything will be better, then we will be frustrated when things don't go as we think that they should. But if we only see the bad, if we are only cynical about our work, like our work is pointless, like I'm not going to do anything with it, I shouldn't work that hard, then it will be hard for us to do our work to the glory of God. Now we'll go more in depth into what this means uh, to think through work as a Christian um, next week. But I just want to give you three applications to close. Okay, first is this. Don't compromise your character and walk with integrity. Don't compromise your character and walk with integrity. In your work, um, your heart and your obedience to God always, always comes first. It's always the most important. Realize that character is formed, that we become the people that we are by what we choose to do again and again and again. Right? Character is formed by our habits. Because we are obedient day by day. And if that is the case, then work and our jobs are this significant influence in shaping our character as we make certain decisions, as we go into the office each day. Right? Like it affects the person that you're becoming. And so don't cut corners. Don't sin to get ahead. I mean, do you remember the story of uh, the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11? Right? If you don't remember, these people, they construct this tower to go to heaven, right? And uh, I know we missed this, but like, this is a crazy, amazing architectural feat, okay? They're like building a tower to heaven. But it doesn't impress God. Right? And the reason it doesn't impress God is because their motives in, in doing that were to make a name for themselves. Like, that's why they were doing what they were doing. So God doesn't care about the product that you're putting out. Like, that's not what he's most concerned about. Why are you doing it? Are you trying to make a name for yourself? Are you trying to seek to honor God in all that you do? Um, Second is this, trust God's sovereign care in every season. Trust God's sovereign care in every season. Some of you uh, will experience seasons of job searching, unemployment, being at a job that you don't love, 
Uh, maybe even for you, like that hard season's right now as you're in school because you just like really, really don't like school. Well, know that in whatever season or situation you're in, you are able to please God with what you do. And know that also, know also that work isn't just this thing that we're like supposed to do for God, but also it is God's instrument of sanctification in us. Right? It's through our work that Christ, or that God is making us more into the image of Christ. And it's the second thing: trust God's sovereign care in every season. And, and last one is this: walk humbly and helpfully with others through the brokenness of work. Walk humbly and helpfully with others through the brokenness of work. Some of you here uh, will land your dream job. And praise God for that, right? You will love, you will do what you love. Um, there's a quote that says, when you find a career that you love, you will never have to work a day in your life. And some of you are like, it, it's, that's a story of my life. Right? And others of you are like, that is just total baloney. Like, have you ever worked before? Well, if, you have, if that's true of your life, right? If you're like, this isn't work, this is like what I love to do. Well, praise God for that, right? Like, that's, that's God's grace in your life. That is uh, just a crazy, abundant grace in your life. But realize that others of, of you, others of the people around you, like, they're going to struggle in their work. And so learn to have compassion for those who are struggling. Um, yeah, like, I, I'm sure once, once you guys graduate, even maybe now, like, you'll, you'll have conversations. You, you'll ask someone, like, how's work going? And, and they'll... It'll sound like they're complaining, okay? And, and like maybe they are. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's their fault. Their, dis, their discontentment, their laziness. Uh, maybe they're too ambitious. They've made work an idol. Um, but like don't jump to that too quickly because work is broken. Like work is frustrating. I think as we walk with people, like we need to be sensitive to that, right? We need to learn to embrace that and affirm that and walk hopefully and humbly with others. Um, let me close with this. Understand that God's good gift of work, um, even though it's, it's now cursed by sin and the fall, uh, it's not just damaged goods. Okay, it's not just like, oh, well, let's make the best of whatever is left. And I know it's, it's going somewhere. And this is the story of the Bible, the redemption through Christ, redemption through the gospel, that God is renewing our work just as he is the rest of creation. And he's doing that through uh, the gospel of Christ. And so whatever dreadful job that you might be doing right now, well, know that it's going to end. Okay, it's going to end. And whatever dream job that you might be doing right now, well, that also will end. And it will be swallowed up by something that is so much better, a work that's been redeemed and perfected and swallowed up by just being with Christ, right, in eternity. And so long for that, right? Have that vision in mind uh, and work faithfully, uh, right now. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, which um, helps us to navigate the, the, the hard parts, the frustrations of life. Um, thank you for the gift of work in that, uh, yeah, such a significant portion of our lives, and yet you were not silent on it. Um, you uh, give us guidance about it, and even more than that, you use it to make us more into the image of Christ. You use it as a means of helping us to hate sin more um, and, and helping us to long for eternity more. Um, and so uh, as we now go into small groups and talk about this and what it means for our lives, uh, give us wisdom, give us insight, and help us to really have faith to trust your word um, against what the world teaches us. Um, and we know that it won't be this overnight change. 
uh, as we just continue to walk in this fallen and broken world. Uh, but we thank you that your word is our anchor and a light uh, for our path. And so help us to treasure it as such. And yeah, I just pray for an encouraging time in our small groups now. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.